The Kibitz is sponsored by the Emanuel J. Friedman Philanthropies. We thank them for their ongoing support. And just a quick disclaimer before we begin, the views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the guests and do not reflect the opinions of the podcast or its sponsors. Thanks. The first time I realized that people still hated Jews was when I worked at a magazine in San Francisco in the early 90s. The office manager made some comment to me about our boss, whose last name was Epstein or Epstein, can't quite remember, and how he was such a cheap Jew that he wouldn't pay for an office party. Now, did the office manager know that I was Jewish, I wondered? I don't think so. Did I reply, you know, by the way, I'm a cheap Jew too? No, I didn't. But I wished I had. It wasn't a huge deal. I, I make jokes all the time about being a cheap Jew. I mean, I am a cheap Jew. Who doesn't like saving a little money, am I right? But it really was the first time I felt like, wow, this is more than just a jokey stereotype. I suspect that anti-Semitism is as old as the Jewish religion. Anytime a group of people separates and declares itself an other, it's likely to make itself a target of animus, right? But lately, something new seems to be brewing. In the UK, according to the Guardian newspaper, incidents of anti-Semitism rose by 11% in the first six months of this year compared with the same period in 2015. The overall figure of 557 cases of malicious acts was the second highest ever recorded during a January to June period. End quote. 557 cases, and that's just in the UK, a relatively tiny country. Oddly, much of the anti-Jewish sentiment in the UK and Europe seems to be coming from the hard left. It's become sort of trendy, as one of this episode's guests point out, to hate Jews. Things have gotten so bleak that the director of BBC television, Danny Cohen, declared, quote, I've never felt so uncomfortable being a Jew in the UK as I've felt in the last 12 months, end quote. And that was at the end of 2014. Things seem to have only gotten worse since then. Here in the US, not only is it trendy on college campuses to hate Jews, but there's also the rise of the so-called alt-right a group which has surfaced primarily via Twitter, promoting its rabid support of a certain candidate running for president. So on this episode of The Kibitz, we'll discuss the latest wave of anti-Semitism, what's happening and why, and what, if anything, can be done about it. I've got really incredible guests, including the New York Times domestic policy editor, Jonathan Wiseman, another segment of Casher vs. Casher, the creator of Mock the Week and Whose Line Is It Anyway, Dan Patterson, returns for a second interview, and Richard Brim, a British ad exec, tells of his first-hand encounter with anti-Semitism in London. So, sit back and attempt to relax for this anti-Semitism episode of The Kibitz. Jonathan Wiseman is a domestic policy editor at the New York Times Washington, D.C. Bureau. He spoke to me by phone from his office in D.C. I am an an editor in the Washington Bureau of the New York Times, um, and um, I edit uh, domestic policy copy. 
I wrote a novel that's about to come out in paperback um, called Number Four Imperial Lane. Just put in that plug, and thank you. Uh, somehow, I have become spokesman for the Jews, which is a very <laughs> odd position, right? Because you're not you're not a very religious Jew. I, as I <laughs> uh, you know, I, I certainly identify. My daughter is actually about about to be bat mitzvahed. Um, uh, I am in a, a congregation, but no, this is not my uh, primary identity. And so you and and in June, you you announced in the New York Times that you quit Twitter. Why why did you do that? So let me just walk you through this. Okay. Um, I had uh, I, I had there there was a uh, a, a column, an op ed piece uh, in the Washington Post by again Robert Kagan, a kind of a famous uh, neocon um, backed the Iraq War uh, invasion, Iraq invasion of Iraq, uh, very kind of a prominent voice in in uh, Republican foreign policy. He had written a piece about how. Fascism uh, arises in the United States. It was a very pointed piece about uh, about the rise of Donald Trump, um, and I tweeted it out as uh, I often do, um, with, with really without comment. It took a quote from the from the uh, piece, uh, put it out on Twitter with a link to it, and uh, I had received a tweet back uh, from. Uh, somebody, uh, Trump, God, King, Emperor, or something like that, um, with my simply just my name in triple brackets, uh, triple parentheses. I had never seen this connotation, this uh, denotation, but for some reason I had a feeling that this had something to do with my last name. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I tweeted back at him and I said, care to explain? And he said, ho, ho, I, I've belled the cat. Uh, and then spewed out some anti-Semitism. And then I was just deluged uh, with anti-Semitic tweets uh, from the alt-right, which is a, a kind of a movement that I didn't really know existed until this moment. Um, so uh, I was dealing with unbelievably graphic, disgusting image, anti-Semitic imagery, you know, me in a gas chamber, uh, pictures of Holocaust uh, victims, uh, me superimposed on them, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, the, the, the gates of Auschwitz that said, uh, Machen America Great Again. Nice. Uh, it was an odd combination of uh, Nazi imagery, Nazi iconography, and uh, Trumpism. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, I mean, I, I, I wrote about that uh, for the New York Times um, in the Sunday Review. And they, that only just stoked more, and it was just a deluge, and then I decided I was going, I kind of had enough. It wasn't really that they were hurting my feelings or anything like that. It just, I, I was sick of dealing with it, and I was certainly sick of dealing with Twitter. Yeah. And I see you've been tweeting again a little bit lately. Uh, I have. I'm kind of wading back into it. Yeah. <laughs> my beef with Twitter uh, hasn't really faded. Um it is this, you know, if Twitter decided uh, that they that it was a, a, an open forum for anything, anything anybody wanted to say, um, I would understand, and I would say, okay, you know, this is a free speech forum. You can do whatever you want. And there are no, you're not signing on to any rules. Uh, by you know, user beware. But that's not what you do when you get on Twitter. When you sign up for Twitter, you have to okay. A, something called the TOS, the Terms of Service. Yeah. And those Terms of Service are very explicit. They say uh, users of Twitter are not 
to, to harass anyone else. And they're certainly not to pick a victim out uh, according to race, religion, sexual orientation. Uh, it is not supposed to be a forum of hate. And if you're going to have those terms of service, you have to have some way to, to enforce them. And Twitter just spends no effort whatsoever to enforce, enforce their own rules. Well, do you, and so do you think this kind of this level of anti-Semitism that, that you've been seeing, do you think it always existed and, and Twitter just sort of allows this public forum for it to be aired? Or do you think that this sort of this alt-right uh, that has been unearthed is, is a new phenomenon? I, I really have no doubt that, first of all, I think it has long existed. It's existed within its own ecosystem. Um, but Twitter has allowed it to have a more public forum, um, and uh, and it and I think the alt right has been really emboldened by Donald Trump's candidacy. I don't, I'm not, I'm not uh, being very original in making that note. Uh, that notice. I mean, the alt right leaders and people like David Duke have said so uh, that that uh, they feel like that they see a kindred spirit here, um, and they feel empowered, even if you know they won't wouldn't be a a an outright embrace from the uh, from the Trump campaign. Yeah, I mean it's interesting though. Like uh, you know, aside from the the retweet of the of the Hillary image with the Star of David and the dollar bills everywhere, you know, which Trump just claimed was it's just a star like any other star. Yeah, um, right. He hasn't. Sure, Trump hasn't really said much ab- about Jews specifically. So wh- why do you think the Trumpists are are uh, you know glomming onto him as such an anti-Jew candidate? I don't think that I think that look I think that anti-Semitism is only one form of hate that the alt right possesses. They hate Muslims. They hate uh, immigrants in general. They hate Hispanics. Um, so uh, and then they and they and they see the world the way through their own prism. So well, if 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 Trump hates Muslims, he probably secretly hates Jews, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. that that's their thinking. Um, and what they have cited that the alt-right leaders have cited is Trump's reluctance to outright uh, renounce them. Um, you know, when uh, when another uh, journalist, Julia Yaffe, uh, was attacked um, for a a column that she had written or a piece that she had written profiling Melania Trump, Melania Trump was confronted uh, with the response uh, from the alt-right toward Julia Yaffe. And she said, well, um, she provoked it. And uh, Donald Trump himself was was uh, asked, I think, by Wolf Blitzer on CNN, uh, what he thought of uh, the, the anti-Semitic response of uh, so many of his supporters. And, you know, he blustered around and ultimately said, well, I, I just see a lot of, uh, of journalists writing unfair stories. So his, his denunciations are not exactly full-throated and uh he seems to feel much more strongly about the journalists than yeah. the uh, antagonists of the journalists well yeah he's he's much he seems much happier to play the victim than uh, <laughs> than than denounce anything I, and i mean does that surprise i mean I, it's hard to even ask this question about donald trump but i mean does that surprise you at all that you know that a presidential candidate is not denouncing this kind of hate speech it does because you know it's not that hard to do. Ronald Reagan, when Ronald Reagan was uh, was 
endorsed by the Ku Klux Klan, came up with a very eloquent response denouncing the Klan and saying that he did not want the uh, the uh, support of any people who uh, would espouse the kind of hate that that, that the Klan did. Um, now, if if Trump wanted to read up on uh, on Reagan's response and put out a written statement, he certainly could have. He just didn't. Um, I'm just I, I don't I, and I'm not saying that Donald Trump subscribes to this kind of overt anti-Semitism. I don't know what's in, tr- in Trump's mind. I know that he could have easily uh, come up with uh, come up with a more uh, resolute, full-throated denunciation, and he has declined to do so. And I can only think that he just wants every vote that he can get. Yeah. Well, and and you sort of alluded to this at the beginning of the conversation. Um, there's something strange about you know this these kinds of attacks on secular Jews such as yourself. I mean, do you, do you think that the alt right hates the notion of? secular Judaism or secular Jewishness even more than it hates religious Jews? Or is it just like, uh, you know, just, it's just fun to hate Jews? I think it, I, I, it's, you know, what's, what's been kind of amazing about this is how the, the no win uh, construct of anti-Semitism that uh, Jews have seen for centuries and certainly uh, before uh, the rise of Hitler have not changed. I mean, I've gotten attacked by uh, by by alt writers who say that Jews are uh, left wing uh, extremists and and um, facilitators of multiculturalism and open borders and such like that. Basically, the you know you're just a bunch of Marxist line. I've also gotten the you're a bunch of fat cat Wall Street uh, neocons. Per, pushing for the invasion of Iraq and, and such like that, you know, the, that, you know, you are whatever your beholder wants you to be. So <laughs> there's no way that you, there's no way I can characterize uh, the attacks. They are the attacks that, that at the moment that person wants to have. It, there's, somebody described it, uh, their, their approach to the Holocaust is, the Holocaust never happened, but boy, isn't it cool too? Uh, so, you know, the same guy, the same guy will uh, send some tract about uh, Holocaust denialism that the, the, about the six million lies, and then send a picture of uh, you know mountains of bodies being bulldozed in Auschwitz. So, right. you know, uh, there's no logic to it. No. And I and I I noticed that you know you talked about the parentheses the sort of echo parentheses that uh, is this sort of signal of the of the alt right. Um, I noticed that a lot of uh, people on Twitter, Jews and, and even some not Jews, have kind of embraced that and reclaimed it. What's what's your feeling about it? Yeah, you know it's interesting because when I first uh, started writing about this phenomenon. Um, I had never heard of the echoes, and nobody had it. It was actually an online tech journal that discovered that, in fact, uh, someone in the alt-right movement had created actual software and put it onto uh, Google+, Plus, um, so you could download uh, this software, and that would search out um, the triple parentheses that were 
expelled on Jewish targets. Um, it was an actual organized effort, which, which stunned me. And then there was the idea, uh, actually, I think it was a reporter from Haaretz uh, who had emailed me and said, hey, I'm putting the triple parentheses around my name in Twitter. Why don't you do the same? Um, Jeffrey, wrote, uh, uh, Jeffrey Goldberg from The Atlantic did it. And then it really picked up, and it wasn't just Jews who were doing it. It was a lot of other a lot of other people like Nira Tanden from the Center for American Politics. Uh, I mean, for for Amer- uh, American policy. Um, and uh, the idea, I think, was not only just expressing solidarity, but that the software wouldn't work if they're trying to tag uh, just one particular target, but there were all of these other targets out there, right? Mm. Um, and it was, it, and I, I think it had its usefulness at the moment. And then I, I took, I decided when I started tweeting again to take them off because I felt like, okay, that moment is past. Uh, and, um, you know, I think it, it was a little more, it became more self-serving than anything else. So yeah. I, I liked the idea of co-opting, you know, co-opting the symbols that, sure. as blacks have done. And, and a lot of, uh, you know, obviously a lot of, uh, <laughs> of minority groups have come up with this idea before somebody decided to put three parentheses around his name. Yeah. It's such a weird, it's such a strange uh, artifact of, of the internet. And yeah, that's interesting. Um, so a couple of other guests on this episode who live in London have talked about uh, a rise that they've seen in anti-Semitism amongst the left in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there's any connection between this sort of the, the rise of anti-Semitism in, in this sort of alt-right here and the hard left uh, over in Europe? You know, I actually, I, I lived in Britain for a while and I thought way back in the 1980s, I, I think it's a different it is actually a different phenomenon uh, because that really ar- arose from um, you know, hatred of Israeli policies, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't see the the uh, you don't see the same level of animus toward uh, Israel in the United States as you do in Europe, and in, in some ways that's pushed uh, by a lot of Muslim immigrants in Europe, but also uh, it's just kind of trendy, just just as it became very trendy in the 1980s to have massive marches against apartheid in, in, in U.S. campuses. For so long, Israel has been a cause celebre in, in European campuses. And it's, a, it's, it's different from the alt-right. The alt-right, the alt-right in the United States is, is openly, overtly identified with Nazism with the Ku Klux Klan, with overt racism um, and white nationalism. And occasionally I would see, I still see uh, people saying, how come you're, you favor open borders for the United States but closed borders for Israel? Right. An odd thing, and I have no opinion whatsoever about Israeli immigration policy. Um, but you don't necessarily, what I don't see is a lot of, of, these right-wing folks uh, on Twitter or social media uh, tying their feelings for Jews with is- with Israel's policies toward the Palestinians. So I actually do think it's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, and so in in uh, in an article about you and and your whole battle with Twitter, the, the Washington Post wrote. What, uh, quote, what has been clear for some time is that criticizing Trump while being Jewish is a hazardous online activity, end quote. Um, what do you think Jews should fear, if anything, about a Donald Trump presidency? 
You know, it's a a question that I have wrestled with myself because I don't, I mean, I, you know, obviously this is not 1933. You do not see, uh, any, any organized political effort against, against the Jews. Uh, the ironic thing is you do see an organized political effort against Muslim immigrants, um, and to a certain extent against, uh, Hispanics, but nothing like that about the Jews. What you see, my, my concern about a Trump presidency would be the emboldening of, uh, of the, the fringe, right? Um, they have said, the uh, leaders of the, of the fringe right have said a, a Trump president, uh, the Trump campaign has been a boon for their own recruitment, and a Trump presidency would, let, uh, would move, their move uh, their own views and their movement, their white nationalism, into the mainstream of political discourse. Uh, I'm not convinced that's true, but they certainly are. Um, and, and as I said, what used to be uh, this kind of ghettoized movement uh, in their own little chat rooms on the internet has now become uh, a much more open push to become part of the political conversation, and that 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 should worry everybody. It shouldn't just worry Jews. It should, sure. worry, it should worry everybody. Yeah, I mean, and how it's easy, you know, because of the nature of Twitter, it's very easy for very small. Uh, group of people to get a lot of attention. I mean, do you think that the alt right is a is a is a real movement that that we should that we should actually be afraid of, or is it just you know a very small group of 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 crazies? I've wrestled with this too because, for one thing, I actually spoke to my rabbi about this, um, and so he you are you are religious. <laughs> well, I, I was, was I didn't seek him out for for spiritual guidance. Okay. I just happened to be. Uh, Talking to him about my daughter's botanist, but gotcha. brought this up. Um, but uh, um, you know, he was of the of the belief, and a lot of Jews are that that this is this is a tiny, tiny fringe movement, and that in fact, on Twitter, you have this ability to create these bots um, that one person can have, you know, hundreds or thousands of different identities, uh, and uh, they're not they're not even real, right? Yeah. Um, you're just amplifying yourself through technology. I I'm, I don't believe that. There's actually a, a website called Bot or Not where you could plug in a Twitter identity into it, and it goes through various algorithms to see if this is something that's just being generated on the internet or if it actually represents an actual human being. Um, and I actually ran some of those tests to see uh, if if some of these were just kind of computer generated messages to me, and I didn't find any evidence, frankly, that they were. Uh, so I think they are human beings. But you're right. If you just if I went through and just counted these counted these Twitter uh, handles, I would come up with dozens, not not even hundreds, right? You know. So this is not a mass movement in any way. It's just a, a kind of a swarm. Um, a swarm of little bees. So, and last question, what, uh, you know, we talked about what do we have to fear um, if he wins? What do you think uh, Jews ha- might have to fear if and when he loses? You know, I, I'm sure that, uh, that the forces that uh, kind of created Donald Trump aren't going to go away with his defeat. Um, I think that you, you already hear uh, people in the in the Hillary Clinton campaign saying we can't. It's not just about defeating him. We need to crush him. 
So we completely uh, discredit uh, the movement that that the, the kind of nationalist pull up the drawbridge movement that created him. I think that I think that what Jews need to realize, and, and this is something obviously that Jews did uh, realize during the civil rights movement, is that you cannot separate anti-Semitism from other forms of white nationalism, right? Uh, this is, you know, we're all in this together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously, <laughs> the Niebuhr quote, I think they, by the time they came for me, there was no more, more person to come for. Um, you know, uh, the, the movement to block Muslim immigrants or to, uh, or to deport illegal immigrants is not something completely removed from a, a, a resurgent anti-Semitism. This is all of a piece. And yeah. I think that that's the lesson for the, the, of the 2016 campaign. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Jonathan. This has been uh, a fascinating and uh, slightly disturbing conversation. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but uh, welcome back to Twitter. Uh, I, uh, I, I encourage I'm, you to keep I, tweeting. As I said, I'm, I'm wading in very, very gingerly. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be uh, tweeting at nearly the level that I once was. Um, <laughs> well, more like when I really have something I really want to say. Yeah. Well, feel uh, free to tweet about the Jewish podcast that you were just on. We'll see how that well, goes. Tell me, when it's gonna, tell me when you're, when you're airing and I certainly will. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much. much. Okay. Take care. Bye. David Kasher is a rabbi. His brother, Moshe Kasher is a comedian. Together, they will debate the origins of anti-Semitism. This is Kasher versus Kasher. All right, we are back with Kasher versus Kasher, uh, David Kasher and Moshe Kasher. Um, we're talking about ri the rise of anti-Semitism uh, in the U.S., sort of all over the world. And um, it does, I mean, it's hard to look at this through a, you know, a historical lens, but it does seem at the, this very moment that it's getting worse. And, uh, you know, uh, just curious why you think that is. Do you think it's getting worse? Um, and perhaps what could be done about it? I mean, I... I I, I I don't know if it's getting worse or it's just always been there and it's being revealed. I don't I I don't really have some big theory on anti-Semitism, but I do think that in periods of instability, you know, one approach to that is to seek some sort of other that is responsible, that is that is either taking your jobs or scheming against you. And the and what you can say about Jew and and that could be anyone. It could be you know. You you know I'm not even going to name it's it'll sound odd if I even name groups but 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 the Jews have been a group that have been pointed to throughout the the centuries because their unique sort of uh, co collective arrangement makes them constantly the other um, that's just that's just our history you know I don't know if I think that anti-Semitism is getting worse what makes you say that just like you mean like Israel stuff. I think well maybe uh, I think in America I don't feel like I don't feel that you don't feel it well you not, live in Los Angeles and you're yeah kid, but. I mean I'm, I look I'm not a, I'm a big believer in anti-Semitism don't get me wrong uh, <laughs> love it love that stuff I actually do I mean I I don't like I'm not like into it but I studied it in college it was like it's, a, it's truly a fascinating thing to me it almost lends legitimacy to the fact I'm a I'm not into Jewish exceptionalism but there's something about the degree and the longevity of the Jewish the anti-Jewish sentiment in the world that is like maybe we are special like if we weren't special why do people hate us so much so long 
and so irrespective of circumstance. Like, yeah. Well, that's I mean, that was actually my next question. Like, do is the fact that we call ourselves the chosen people, does that invite ridicule and hatred? Well, there's a million things about the Jews. Every single thing about the Jews that people hate, you can point to a historical antecedent to a thing where, well, I could see why they would hate you there, right? <laughs> I mean, I, Wait, no. what, what do you mean? Like what? Okay, uh, give me a Jewish stereotype. Cheap. Okay, well, that's uh, that, that one's the easiest one. Thank you for that sure, underhand. Just, uh, so the Christian Bible prevent, uh, pro- prohibits usury. Catholics used to actually take that seriously. And so Jews in the Middle Ages and the and before were the moneylenders, right? And so we would literally moneylend. And who do you hate more than a creditor? Who seems like they're out to get you more than a guy that is, by his, by his religious denomination, able to charge you interest, take over your home, kick your kids out of your house, right? Nobody likes a creditor. Nobody likes a banker. And Imagine bankers only had yarmulkes on. You'd be like, well, I don't like the people with the yarmulkes. So that's a that's a thing, right? Well, look, I, I do think that there are some theological under... I can't speak... To, I'm not a historian. I'm not a sociologist. But I do think that there are some theological mm, structures that may inform anti-Semitism. And, and some of that is the chosen people stuff in the sense that, you know, our our, our classic narrative often has you know, one family line selected over another. And, you know, if you go back to the to the Torah, you have, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they're, like, often picked over some other brother that didn't get picked. So, like, when you have Jacob, you also have Esau, and there's this embedded in Jewish theology, there's this idea that there's this antagonism between those two brothers. And I think that that's, even in our own understanding of the world, there's some notion that we will be sort of, like, pitted against and I think interestingly pitted against someone who we are related to and have some kinship with and have to figure out some internal tension with. I, I, you know, I think that from a narrative or theological perspective is a part of our story and it can get played out in sinister ways. People can make more of that and say, well, we want to be better than everybody else. And I, and I don't think it has to be played out in those, in, that, in those ways, but I think it is a part of our self-identity, that we are other and that mm. there, we stand in relationship to some. And then I think the main other sort of religious reason for for this tension is that, I mean, Christianity. <laughs> we do. Like Christians, we killed Jesus. Yeah. We, well, yeah. I mean, like, that. I, I didn't say, yeah, we killed Jesus. Right. But like, I yeah. Did, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like they, the Christians really picked up on that otherness, especially because they were trying to universalize in some ways, trying to universalize Judaism. And so the fact that Jews kind of dug their heels in and said, nope, like we're separate, that was a a big sticking point for Christians. And we became, you know, they in some ways took on that role of being the other family line and the one that was in tension with the Jews. Yeah, but if that was all, then it would make sense. But that's what, where it starts to become mystical is where people went the other way, like, and they were like, okay, fine, we will be not other. I mean, the Germans in pre-Holocaust Germans German Jews were the most assimilated Jews in history until probably now. They were the the funny story about the Germans. They would describe them as like they would they would have Christmas parties with Christmas trees serving pork, but only Jews would be at the Christmas party because no non Jews would hang out with them. Uh, so it's like. Even the ger- and that's where the Holocaust started. That's where the final solution was come up with was in this den of assimilation. So it's like even 
even when it's not in the shtetl, even when it's like a Jew going, no, I'll do what you want. I'll dance. I'll sing. I'm, I'm Chicken George or whatever. That's a Roots reference for those of you listening and paying attention at home. Uh, still, they're like, nah, we hate you. So I have come to believe in I mean, we're just lucky to be in America. America's the least anti-Semitic country in, in probably in history. Although what you're saying— what you're saying is ominous because you're saying, and in the least anti-Semitic countries, right, you just never where, know when it's going to flare up again. Right, exactly. Yep. And when the and it seems like perhaps the threat was that they become too assimilated and become too powerful and and too almost just like them. Like take con, you know um, conversion for example. So like with you know Christians, the whole idea is get as many people as possible in. Right. That's like that's the mission. Jewish tradition is always sort of. Like not only asserted that we're just fine, we don't need anyone to join us, but that actually it's not so – like there's a process for joining. It's not so easy. And, and I think that there's something actually really beautiful about that. Like we're not running around assaulting people and trying to drag them in. There's something we're, in a way humble about it. We're keeping the assault internal, <laughs> yeah. emotion-based, but and only for your family. But there's also <laughs> something off-putting about the fact that you know a people could seem uninterested uh-huh. in interacting with the world. I think that – that non-Jews experience that and feel that. And I think actually increasingly, you know, the Jewish community struggles with that tension because the new de rigueur modality of being is we are all one. Yeah. And Judaism is anything but saying we are all one. It's like we are all, you know, we are all one and you are one yeah. and we are two. We are the good one though. But I think I think the value of universalism and a shared humanity is something that Anyone living in the kind of in in contemporary culture can appreciate and and feels feels a sense of of owner. I, I certainly f- like relate to that value. And at the same time, I'm trying to put that in dialogue or tension with the the particularism that is kind of inherent to any culture or tradition, but certainly like deeply embedded within within the Jewish story. I do have this feeling that anti-Semitism is like magic. It's a kind of weird magic. And Jews are the only religious group that is around, uh, besides, I guess, the Hindus. And Hindus, there are a billion Indian people, right? And prob- there's, I think there's almost a billion Hindus, and they all live in the same country. Jews are like, what, 15 million, if that, 10 million? And we're still around from a time when every other religious group that existed uh, is, has just sort of fallen into the waste of history. And my opinion of why that is, this people that shouldn't be, is, is partially Shabbat. I think that's part of it, like giving people a thing, and and partially the Torah for sure, uh, but but also very in a very big way anti-Semitism. I think we have doubled down and, and bunkered down and and fortified and circled the wagons so for so long that the wagons aren't even wagons anymore. They are the they are the the outer walls. They are the western walls of our whole civilization. Well, right. and that's a really really chilling thought, but one to take seriously. This idea that we. I mean, I hate to say it out loud, but in a way we thrive on anti-Semitism, that it, it it drives us together, it forges our identity that, you know, in a sense, oh, without yeah. some well, sense of of, exter- uh, of existential threat, we wouldn't continue to persist. I don't, I don't really like to think along those lines I, because it— I stay dropping chilling thoughts. That's what I do. I'm a mm. guy that drops—they call me the chilling thought of comedy. The chiller. The, the chiller. chiller. The I'm chiller. the chiller. Yeah. I'll chill a room out like that. I get up on stage, the room will be hot. St- they stop laughing. They stop yeah. laughing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's chill. It's yeah. a, it's a but, particular style. But yeah, Israel— are the, the the final and most and, and most you know fully manifested uh, reality of our people 
is 100% a product of anti-Semitism. Without anti-Semitism, without the Holocaust, and the Holocaust is the ultimate, the, the sort of kismet end of the anti-Semitic story that started in Rome but really got going at, when Christ died, uh, the end result was Israel. That is a state that is born out of the birth pangs of the Holocaust. So we don't even have a country without anti-Semitism. Look, it hasn't been so long since the Holocaust, but I think we're still very much in the mentality of, you know, we we got to be careful or they'll, like, they'll kill us. Like, one, sooner or later, they're going to rise up and kill us. Yeah, it's truly a people that have been affected by anti-Semitism that Israel's sort of national consciousness is all about at any moment we could be destroyed when they are the only nuclear power within like 5,000 miles. Like Israel could wipe the floor with every single – has and could. Oh, did you know that Israel does not have a nuclear weapon? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> right, we've got a soap factory. But anyway <laughs> – uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But they're still like, oh, no, at any moment, at any moment, Yemen could come and destroy us all. It's like, right. I don't think Yemen, I think yeah. I think we'll be okay. But I mean, I also think, though, I mean, since we got on the, the uh, topic of Israel, I do think that there's something to, I mean, you said that you didn't think that anti-Semitism was on the rise in America. But I, I do feel like there's a sense that that Israeli politics in specific, what's been going on in the last, you know, eight to ten years, has uh, drawn a lot of people out of the woodwork to basically equate Judaism with Israeli politics. Oh, a thousand percent. And I think that is anti-Semitic. But when you, for me, because I look at anti-Semitism as this kind of weird cosmic force, I guess I, I don't see it as like some new – it's a new iteration, but it doesn't feel like, oh, it's on the rise. It feels like, oh, this is the version of it now, like to equate to Israel, everything Israeli with everything Jewish. I'm automatically and de facto a puppet of the Israeli state. I mean, David gets – has gotten – because he wears a yarmulke walking around. David's gotten like people like, you know, free Palestine. It's like, well, what do you mean free Palestine? Maybe I – maybe my yarmulke says free Palestine. You don't know what my political leanings are. Yeah. I might be incredibly anti-Israel I just because I'm wearing this – you know, foolish hat, as I call it, right? No, I'm kidding. It's not foolish. <laughs> um, but it's complicated, isn't it? I mean, it's so complicated because on the on the one hand, I think Israel, like, should be subject to critique just like any other nation should. And I don't think that it's necessarily anti-Semitic to criticize Israel. But on the other hand, I've definitely heard a kind of virulent hatred of the very notion of there being like a, a Jewish state that just feels like this is not reasonable. This this is somehow she, like covering up uh, yeah. a real hatred of yeah. of Jews. You know, and and I just it, it's so complicated to disentangle those things. And then I think oh, it's yeah. also complicated for us Jews to disentangle our own. You know, on the one hand, I feel a sense of solidarity with the Jewish people, and so that's that's going to trump a lot of my. You know, that's just going to be an emotional Trump for me. I yeah. want Can we to, not use the word Trump? Yeah, yeah. No, we, let's <laughs> use the word Trump. Let's make America Trump again. But on the other hand, I want I want my that that people to be a normal, healthy people that yeah. that is able to be self-critical and, you know, engage in dialogue with other people. So it's you know, it's hard and it's hard in in, in large respect because of the legacy of anti Semitism where every little oh, I don't like the way the Israeli government is doing like it. It's just like I'm waiting to hear. Uh -huh. Oh, you know the Jews always do that. Well, I think to uh, to sum it all up, as as Nietzsche, who was obviously a big lover of the Jews, 
once said, you know, what does not destroy me only makes me stronger. So I think all of this will just continue to make the Jews uh, more strong. Well, and I do, I do think that there's something to that, like the way that an oppress, a, a history of oppression is not just like identity forming, but it does create a sense of solidarity. And I think oppressed groups in this country feel it. And, and I think I feel a sense of kinship with Jews because I, I know that like we got to have each other's back to a certain extent. And that's, that's just, that's only natural. Like there's a kind of love born of shared struggle. All right, thanks guys. Thanks for uh, weighing in on this heavy topic. Very delicate stuff. Yeah. We did it. Yeah. Richard Brim is an award-winning creative director at Adam and Eve DDB. We spoke last October at his office in London. So, so my name is Richard Brim. Um, I've lived in London for 20 years and originally from Manchester. And my wife's from Manchester, but she's been down here with me about 11 years. When we first met, you talked to me a little bit about some of the recent experiences you've, you've had with anti-Semitism and are feeling like anti-Semitism is on the rise in the UK. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it was one of those situations where, um, well, for the last 10, 15 years, you hear about sporadic incidents of a graveyard being defaced or... Um, something being daubed on a Jewish shop or, and, and I think last year, and but it was every couple of months at, at most. And then you'd start hearing things about on a weekly basis of, of, of things happening to, to kids leaving, leaving schools. And it just, you start to become a lot more aware of it. And then I was actually driving home from, from a, a work job and I got a phone call from my wife and she was absolutely hysterical, absolutely hysterical. And I, I couldn't get a word out. I couldn't, she, she, she was making no sense. And after about 15 minutes, she calmed down. And basically what had happened, she'd come home from school with the kids. And on the front door, um, a swastika had been scratched into our front door with a biro, with a, with a, with a, with a, with a ballpoint pen. And... I got home. I, went, I left immediately, obviously, because she was she's in the she's in the, and and the kids. She wanted she wanted to keep it from the kids and blah blah all that sort of stuff. And I got home, and it didn't take a a, a, a genius to work out. It was we'd had a missed delivery from a supermarket, and it was the same biro. Um, it was the same sort of blue biro that had been used. And that's it, our house was not the sort of house you walk up, people walk past, or you you, you go up the path for a reason. And it obviously come, seen that we weren't in, heard we weren't in, and looked up, seen the mezuzah. And then as a chancer, and, and, and that to me, whether that's what actually what happened or, or, or that's me making light of what happened to sort of calm it down, that's what I like to think happened. Um, Natalie, my wife, was, was obviously a bit more freaked out. And, and, that, and that really sort of... That was the first time I've ever had it firsthand, bar being a kid. I used to wear a yarmulke as a kid and having things thrown at me on the bus. And, but you just, you just sort of, I wasn't, I wasn't a shy kid, so you just told them to leave you alone and it was fine. <laughs> um, but um, it was the first thing that, and it did freak me out. It freaked her out a lot more than it freaked me out. Um, the one thing it did make me question was the point of sort of putting yourself in danger. 
like that. And that's the thing I was most struggling with. What, 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 what means so much that you actually put yourself in danger? Do, 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 I, do I put that much into the notion of being Jewish that I want to put my family in that much danger? And, that, and, that, and that, that's what, if anything, that incident did for me. And so did you question then, do I remove the mezuzah from my door? Is that the kind of the first step in putting yourself out of danger? I must be honest with you, we haven't. I did. You did take the mezuzah? No, I I, I questioned it. And we, it it wasn't ever a question of not having one. It was always a question of, oh, it's quite quite big. Well, not quite big. It's like a silvery, it's quite a prominent one. And so I questioned, let's get a more discreet one. And and that's 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 something that uh, maybe out of sheer laziness we've not done. I, I don't know because we were discussing it the other day. Um, the main thing it made me question is because the whole temperature of the of the country was was going that way, and what was going on in Israel, um, we had a lot of meetings at school about the safety of the kids. And and I, I was in one meeting where the school that my kids are at has backs onto a park, and it's just got a fence. And and I started thinking, well, anybody can come along and see what the kids are doing and, and let, let's, let's build a wall. And then the, the, the head of CST are going, well, why would you build a wall? We don't run scared, we don't do this. I was like, no, but it's not about running scared, it's about protecting what you've got. And then we get into this conversation of like, well, if the attack, if there is an attack, it's not going to be a gun attack because there's not enough guns in the, the UK to warrant that, but it'll probably be an attack a pick up a drop-off. And you start having these horrific, horrific conversations about your kids and and trying to justify that it's okay, okay, it's all right if it's not got guns. Well, it's only at the beginning, it's only at the front of school that something could happen. And you're like, I don't want anything to happen anyway. The front, back, wherever. I don't, I don't yeah. want anything to happen full stop. And the kids came home one day from school after this whole, and they said, we're, we're teaching the kids on how to behave and blah, blah, blah. And the kids came home from school one day and was they were they were talking about what they'd done that day and they were saying we're playing sleeping dragon they're sleeping lions and I, and 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 we'd been told about it by an email and you know and, and not to make not to get alarmed or not to but just say yes that's what's, what you what's do. sleeping lions? so sleeping lions is when the teacher raises the alarm you all get into the table and play the sleeping lions so pretend to be still um, and they they and and. And that really bothered me. That 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 that, that, that I mean, it's, and it's all it's a precaution. It's a it's a very very strong precaution. But the fact that they're being taught to do that in this modern world is absolutely ridiculous. So they were they were teaching them this sort of game, yeah. And they didn't. The kids don't understand the subtext of it, um, which is yeah, uh, interesting. And wow. and they're, they're teaching it as, as a when I do this, we would all play sleeping lions. And which means getting under your desk and lying very still. Wow. So, so, and I, I, I mean, I know, I, I know it was a, a um, an extreme thing to, for them to be learning, and I'm very happy they learned it. I just like to be at school where they didn't need to learn that. Or, uh, yeah. and, but then I'm, I, I don't want them to be. I want them to be able to go to a Jewish school, and I, I, I take a lot of pride from the fact they do go to a Jewish school, and and. And it's a very good Jewish school, and it's very—it's not too preachy, and it's—it's it's a very balanced Jewish school, which I, I, was really important to me. But then half of me just wants to go and move somewhere where 
You don't have to do that. Yeah. You don't have Where to. would that be? Well, this is it. I don't know. I, mean, we, 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 it, the st- I don't know. I, mean, we, I, I sort of toyed with Canada, the States. No, that's, I, was, I, was, I was about to take a job in Canada for that very reason of, of things just built up and built up and built up here last year. And I was just like, well, we've got to get out. And wow. I didn't in the end. So the incident happened on the door. And then is that something you brought up? At, at school so that they knew about it? And, yeah, so, okay. yeah. I mean, the, the, the one thing, the, the one very interesting um, sign was when we, we told the police about it and we said it's, it's, a, it's an anti-Semitic um, gesture. Like... An act. An act. An anti-Semitic yeah. act. He said, no, it's not. It's a... Well, this one policeman came around and I was just like... I, I actually got annoyed and had to walk away because he, he, he tried to put it down to um, code, like gang code for uh, burglaries. So there, there was a thing where you would, people would mark houses that are ripe for um, burglary and they'd say, okay, single woman and there'd all be all this, this sort of code. And um, he said, it's one of those. I was like, it's a swastika. <laughs> There's no code about it. It's a swastika that's been yeah. scratched into my door. Yeah. If, they want to sh- if they want to show me code, if they want to put code, they'll do it on the front gate or they'll do it somewhere where the owner won't see. But this is like scratched into a black front door. There's no, there's no hiding this. Yeah. Um, and and it was really telling because I mean he wasn't. He, it was really telling how he didn't want to admit that that's what it was, because I think once they admit that that's what it was, they realise they have quite a serious problem. Yeah. As opposed to just common day sort of everyday burglary. Right. And it was he was almost reluctant to admit that that's what it was and that was the problem that's what the problem was which which was very which was very interesting. Yeah. Cuz it's a scary problem. It's a very scary problem and 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 it's it's not just anti-semitism, it's hatred of anything. Yeah. It's is 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 a scary problem. I think that that's what we have to deal with. Yeah. And so did it nothing I assume nothing ever no, progressed no, and no, no, nothing no. ever came of it. Or every anything. single, every single uh, supermarket delivery guy that comes to the door, I uh, eyeball in a Larry David sort of way. <laughs> but uh, apart from that, apart okay. from being suspicious of every single person that comes to the door. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty. Yeah, yeah. Apart, apart from that, no. Um, <laughs> it's a strange thing to be thinking about, and it's yeah. funny. I talk to people, uh, colleagues at work, and. When the, when you talk about it, they're like, "What you really think about that like, in this day and age? This is what you think about." I'm like, yeah, of course I do. I think I think yeah, it just it just comes with the territory. Yeah, and then then, then going back to my point before is is that makes me question the the territory it comes with. So so do I believe enough in that to to warrant? And I, I clearly do because I'm still I'm still here doing living where we're living. Yeah. I, I very rarely put things on Facebook, but after the, what happened, I, made, I use it to make a point, and just saying that this happened after the swastika. Yeah, after the swastika. Yeah. Like, this happened. Everybody needs to be very careful about what they're backing and what they're believing in because this is getting real here, and we just need to be very careful about yeah. about all the hysteria that's going on, and we need to be very balanced with the facts and 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 try and quash this hysteria rather than feed it. And it was really funny. So some of the, some of the, some of the comments I got about was like, "This is terrible. This is a, this is absolutely from people that I thought were proper lefties." And 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 then some people just went for me, going, "No, you need to know the facts." And you know, and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not. I don't want to get into an argument about it." A swastika has been scratched into the door of my house with 
where my three kids live. I'm not, I'm not getting into an argument about it. And what I'm saying is we just need to be very careful what, what, we, what we get hysterical about because people on Facebook are getting hysterical and, 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 and this is all filtering through and the whole country's getting a bit hysterical and the whole world's getting a bit hysterical. Just, just my one post to my four friends or whatever it's, isn't going to change the world, but it, it, I just want you to just chill. There's, and, and some of the reactions I got from people were, were really, really quite, considering the, the subject matter, they were quite punchy. When friends are believing other things, I don't, I don't know, it's when friends turn, not, not turn against you, but I'm not saying friends aren't allowed a different point of view. I, don't, I, I just found it difficult. Well, yeah, it's hard to know. It's yeah, hard to know yeah. how to navigate those conversations. Yeah. I had a similar one uh, with a good friend in Finland where, you know, you, it's what's what I think is so interesting about this conversation and is that, uh, you know, your average run-of-the-mill Jew that lives in the UK or in Los Angeles or the United States somehow ends up having to defend the political policies of, of a small minority of people in Israel yeah. and, and, or, or the political actions of a mm. small group of, of Israelis. And it's like that just because we're, you know, it's, it's, it's basically as if you're indicting, you know, all of Islam because uh, there are some Muslim terrorists. Yes, exactly. And it's like that, that's not okay. No. But, but indicting Jews on the whole is okay because... Yeah. <laughs> because of the, it's a lot smaller. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they think it is all actually all Jews involved, uh, but but that, that that's that, that that's hit the nail on the head. It, it's really and that and that, that that's that, that but that's the problem. I think I think I think it is a territory war. It's between it's between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Yeah, it's a territory war. One just the fact that one happens to be a religion. Well, both happen to be a different religion. But it's always Palestinians against the Jews. Yeah, it's weird, but I mean that's the way it is. And I think I think I think um, the whole of the uh, but, but exactly the actions of a couple of, of a few in Israel is just ruining everything. Yeah, not ruining everything, but it, but it's, it, that's that's, that's a bit strong. <laughs> that's a bit strong. But it, 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 it's having a negative effect on, on 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 Judaism as a religion globally. I mean, aside from uh, peace in the Middle East. Which uh, doesn't seem no, that doesn't seem like it <laughs> seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. Do you do you th- do you see any uh, solutions or any? No, I, mean, I, I don't. I don't. I actually don't know. I actually don't know because I think I think I think there's a deep rooted hatred. Um, I think there is a hatred towards towards. Um, I think it comes from both sides. I think you, on the one side, you've got you've got the the, the problem in the Middle East, and then. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the UK thing that people are anti-Semitic. There's not a lot of Jews here, mm. and where they are, they're clustered. So when you when you come into a professional environment, there's people that never met a Jewish person in their life, and then all they know of them is that they're tight, have big noses, and 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 and. But because they're in this this cosmopolitan city, they they forget that, and it's all fine. And then maybe this undo like brings those things. I, I don't know. What I there was a something on the BBC that said there were 473 recorded anti-Semitic incidents between January and June this year and a 53% rise from 2014. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a huge I, rise. There, there, was, there, was a, there was an incident last week in um, the train station where I grew up, literally 
500 yards from my house. Manchester. In Manchester. Yeah. And it was some very, very religious boys getting on the tram and two guys, 16, 17, had been to the races, very, very drunk. Um, it started with them. I think they were ignored. And I think I think because they ignored them or they didn't want to cause trouble or they did something, whatever, one of the guys ended up with his head smashed, like like his head kicked in. And, and I mean, the pictures are horrific. Like it cuts all the way down his head or he cracks skull or something like unbelievable. And um, the other four ended up critically ill in hospital and, and as well. And, the, and it showed the pictures of the guys and, and it guys like other guys I went to school with. They weren't, yeah. they, they weren't, they were, they were from okay backgrounds and one was at university and one was at college and very sort of normal, normal guys. But they took it upon themselves and it was very, very anti, it was very, it was an anti-Semitic attack. It was because they, they, the guys were very from there. I mean, they had payers and, and, and that, that's happening. Yeah you're just hearing more and more of it. I'm yeah. hearing more and more gravestones. And when I went to visit my grandma, uh, it's my auntie's funeral. And you're just walking past gravestones that have been defaced, like it's normal. Like it's a normal run-of-the-mill daily thing. And you're just like, this is this is people's resting place. Yeah. This is the place, the place that they've, they've, they've found peace and, 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 and they've, their gravestones have been daubed with, anti-Semitic swastikas and what, what God knows what else. And, and, and it's 2015. Right. Yeah. And, and, it, it, and getting that, worse. And getting worse, which <laughs> yeah. is a crazy thing. I mean, yeah. and you know what's scary? I'm, I'm just thinking now I'm talking to you about this and I've given my name and this guy on a podcast and, yeah. and I think, oh my God, is this, is this? No, I think about it too. I think, I mean, I've never, my last name's Crane. I don't, yeah. I, you know, people don't look at me and necessarily think, oh, that guy's Jewish. Same with you, I yeah. assume. And I, I've wondered too, like, do I want to put my name on a Jewish podcast? Like, is that a thing I need to be doing? And mm. is that, am I putting myself in danger for, <laughs> just for the sake of hosting, you know, having some interesting conversations about, and, you know, for a religion that I don't even feel necessarily that tied to religiously, yeah. I, f I feel tied to it culturally and, and you know, for lots of other reasons. Yeah. And it's... Uh, that's, I mean, that's kind of part of the question of this podcast, I think, but... Um, I don't think people immediately associate me with being Jewish. Because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of the people... But Judaism doesn't define who I am. Yeah. I think Judaism is part of who I am, but it doesn't define who I am. Yeah. But if, yeah. and, but presumably if you had not had the mezuzah on your door... That wouldn't have happened. That wouldn't have happened. No, because it's, yeah. it, we don't live in a Jewish area. Yeah, our friends, all our friends, are not necessarily Jewish. We have Jewish friends and non-Jewish friends. Um, it's very strange because because I've got friends from all religions, Muslim friends, and, and it's, it's very interesting talking to my Muslim friends um, about it because you tell them this happens, they're like, "No, that you're like, yeah, yeah, it's sort of happening." It's, what does it say? And and then, then you hear that you hear from them that there's hatred against them. And you're just like, this is this is this is fucked. Yeah, this is absolutely fucked. Like in in terms of people should not be living in fear. Muslim people, so they're being attacked. Yeah, and then and the same breath, those people are attacking us. And then it's it's, it's just crazy. It's just utterly nuts.
Yeah. And 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 I don't know where the solution is. I really, really don't know where the solution is. I just, I mean, in a very naive world, I just want everybody to sort of be happy and get on. <laughs> Can't we all just get along? Yeah. Just, just, just. If you want to go and fight, just do it somewhere else. Yeah. But just let's all just get on. Yeah. So. And you do you go to shul every week and no 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 no. no. Um, no, I don't. I should do. You don't not go out of fear of... A little bit. Oh, really? A little bit. A little, a little bit of, of... Again, I don't want to put my... I, you, well, you just... you just. Yeah. Is it worth putting yourself yeah. out there? Yeah. It's interesting. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's purely the kids. It's, you worry about the kids. And, and it's, it's a worry as opposed to a... No, it's a worry. Yeah. It's a worry. And I can't see an end to it. Yeah. And so do you think, I mean, you, you said you've been kind of weighing, making some changes, either geographically, just getting the hell out of here, or, or would you take the kids out of the Jewish school and put Yeah, them- we've spoken about that a lot, yeah. and, 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 and spoken about what the best thing for them would be, and do, should we move to the countryside, yeah. where there's no Jews? <laughs> yeah. so Better or worse. Yeah, and, 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 and or what, what, what do you do? Yeah. And... But then living in all, you don't all, you also don't want to be run out of place. But I don't know, it's, it's a, it's a toughie, yeah. it's a real toughie at the moment. Well, you're always welcome in uh, Los Angeles. I tell you what, don't say that. <laughs> be there tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it's very, uh, very tempting. Well, I would, uh, would be happy to. I'll see you in, you in, in, see you in LA. We can go <laughs> grab, uh, grab some deli in, in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, thanks for talking to no, me. No, 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 I hope that's all right. And, uh, yeah, sorry to hear everything is uh, such a mess. No, but, I mean, but then at the same I mean, we, we painted a, a, quite a fleet picture. It's not that bleak. It's, it's, yeah. it's, there's, there's, it's just, it's just something you have to be aware of. It's yeah. not, it's not, it's not, we're not all living in fear, but it's just something you have to be aware of. Yeah, interesting. But, all right, well, yeah. thanks again. No, no, no. Okay. Dan Patterson is a British television producer and writer and the creator of the long-running improv show Whose Line Is It Anyway, as well as co-creator of Mock the Week. We spoke at his office in London. All right, so Dan Patterson, welcome back to the Kibitz. Thanks okay. for talking to me again. Um, so when we last spoke, uh, we talked a little bit about how uh, you know you've, you you felt like there is kind of an increase in... in uh, Incidents of uh, you notice more anti-Semitism here in the UK. Do you know what's at the heart of why this is happening now, or what's your feeling about it? In the well, UK? I think it's partly that there's very much a sense of racism equals sort of powerless groups, and the Jews are not seen as a powerless group anymore. I think Jews are not seen as part of the endangered species; they're seen as part of the problem. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just think there's, it's a change. I, I, it's obviously to do with Israel to an extent, but I think there's a, just a feeling that Jews aren't part of the oppressed. Yeah. Are you surprised at the sort of anti-Semitism that seems to be coming from the far left? Yeah, well, traditionally it's been obviously part of the far right, hasn't it? But I think a lot of people don't want to see it as a problem of the left. It just doesn't fit the narrative that they're comfortable with. But clearly in this country, with what's happened with the far left really taking over the Labour Party, 
uh, there's definitely a different attitude. And, you know, you're seeing it all the time that people get suspended and then get sort of sneaked back in a few weeks later when attention has moved away. And it's clearly a problem. I mean, often the problem is with Israel, but increasingly I think there's a blurred line between criticism of Israel and criticism of Jews. And I think, while I think it is clearly not anti-Semitic to criticize the state of Israel, I think it is anti-Semitic to single it out or to demonize it or to hold it up to standards you wouldn't hold other people up to. And you do see that coming in. Mm -hmm. I don't want to overstate it because... Clearly, there are examples of it, but it's not a terrible thing. It's, I think it's a creeping thing. I think it's happening over a period of time. But we, we, fortunate, we are fortunate to live in this country, and um, there is something there, but it's not terrible. So it doesn't really come up much. I mean, I, I don't know what forces will have been unleashed by Brexit. You know, you just don't know. There's general, there's a certain racism inherent in the decision. Uh, by the way, I don't think by all, by at all, that it's something that that's a major reason for it, but there clearly will be xenophobic forces unleashed and that's never good. <laughs> it just isn't. So, you know, I, it's all very worrying and I think it's a worrying time. Yeah. I don't feel, and this is possibly naive and it's possibly out of date, but I don't feel anti-Semitism is a bigger problem in the States as it is here or in Europe. I think it is a growing problem, but I don't think it's a problem the same way. As I said to you last time, I think the the confidence of being Jewish in America is a completely different thing. Mm. And, and do you feel like you can feel a palpable difference of, uh, of when you were growing up, say, or, you, you know, when you were young to, to now in terms of the anti-Semitism? Yeah, well, I, I think there was anti-Semitism around when I was young, but it was from the right. And um, I think there is more now. I just think, you, I mean, it's not just me thinking that. There clearly are way more examples of graffiti or harassment occurring than there were when I was younger. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, but when I was young at university, there was a lot of anti-Israel feeling. You know, I was at university when the Zionism equals racism stuff was going on. So it's not like it wasn't there. But And that did tend to come from the hard left. I think what's changed is that, uh, in the last year is that hard left are now moved their agenda and opinions has moved f much more into the center because of their um, entrance into the Labour Party. So these things that were seen as fringe and you read about are now in the mainstream. So that clearly, I, I, f I feel that's a worrying um, thing to be happening. I mean, obviously, you're not a fortune teller, but do you have a sense of where of where things might be going or like... My sense know, is yeah. that things will probably get worse. Yeah, I, I You know, I just... I, I'm in slightly depressed about it at the moment. I, I can't see why they wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what is stopping these sort of things happening. And also, you know, we're entering a period of uncertainty and recession. And I usually think racism of all sorts, but also anti-Semitism um, increases during those periods. And, of, and when people are harder up and they're looking around for somebody to blame, Jews tend to be in the front line. Yeah. So... It does worry me. Yeah. America's the big hope, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. The United then States you should is, be really worried. <laughs> is this the big hope? So who knows? But well, yeah. why do you think it's you think it's getting worse in the States? Yeah, I do. I mean I mean I I'm the kind of normalization of it uh is what scares me. That, yeah. Like it's no longer surprising to and you know, I think part of it is, you know, social media has has allowed everyone to yeah. to put out their their private opinions in a very public way. So if all these people probably 
hated Jews before. We just didn't quite know about it in the way that we do now. And, you know, if you write, there's a woman just recently who wrote um, about, you know, Trump and the, the this image that he had, that he had tweeted, uh, you know, that had Hillary with a, a Jewish star and all this money floating everywhere. And this Jewish journalist, call, you know, called out the campaign on it. And the the amount of tweets that she received that were so grotesquely, yeah. you know, anti, uh, it was Well, you get that a lot on Twitter. I mean, there's yeah. no doubt about it. I mean, one of them, I suppose if you ask, is there an area of hope? Uh, the, the bad news in that I think since Brexit, there seems to be a lot more examples of Islamophobia, and that's a very worrying, problematic development. But I would say... In the course of the last 10, 15 years, I think racism against blacks and what, uh, those sorts of things in England at sporting game stuff has reduced. Uh, you know, when I was in the 70s and 80s, it was appalling the kind of abuse that was meted out at soccer games and things like that. And I th I, it's just less now. I, we seem to at least overcome that, and that's a great step forward. But whether it's still, I still think there's attitudes in society and just like anti-Semitism, I think racist attitudes sort of bubble along amongst under the surface. And then all of a sudden it seems okay in society that these things come out. And I think this has been, a, as I said, during the campaign, I think this has come out a little bit in all sorts of areas. And as you say, it's the normalization. That's what worries me. You know, there was a long time, as I said last time when I was growing up where in the post Holocaust days you could just could not be openly anti-semitic certainly not here possibly in some areas of europe you could but certainly not here and that's gone i mean it just comes bubbling up you put your finger into the ground and it just bubbles up again anti-semitism racism islamophobia all these things are bubbling up and and i find it very worrying what what can happen to change that i'm not exactly sure mm. I don't know. I wish I, I, I did know, but I don't. So as I yeah. said, I'm slightly depressed of central London at the moment on this issue. Yeah. Well, I think but it could just be because I'm knackered. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you've read the news. In the no, past, I've read you the know. news. Yeah. But uh, I certainly think when you go to LA, you go to New York, you go to Chicago, you go to these places, I, I don't feel it so much. Maybe on some campuses, mm -hmm. things you do. And I guess there's always been a strain of racism, uh, you know, in, in some of the... Uh, you know, places which aren't so urban, aren't the big cities, aren't the big centers of population out, out more in the remote areas. I don't know. I, I don't know that much well enough about the United States. I've only ever lived in big cities there. But uh, you have to hope that somehow there can be, as certainly as president, a unifying president. I, I, well, actually, that is a surprising thing in America, is that it seems to be so divisive that you know, if you take... Sanders on one side and Trump on the other is such an enormous divide. And, uh, you know, there have been, you've seen it in the past, but, you know, Bush and Gore, I don't think were as quite as polarizing at that time as Sanders and Trump. You know, it's just the left has gone further left, the right has gone further right. And, um, you know, you, you hope that somehow uh, calm, clear minds can prevail and somebody can emerge who's, a, who's more of a unifying person in all of this yeah well i mean and i feel like in in the u.s we had obama who seemed like that figure but you know the right just got farther right and more polarized 
seemingly you know for no reason except that maybe he was african-american yeah um well you know, that seems probably help. like the reason yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah all right thanks again, okay yeah. okay cheers All right, that is it for this episode of The Kibitz. Again, just a reminder, the views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the guests and do not reflect the opinions of the podcast or its sponsors. Hey, if you like the show, please rate and review it on iTunes. It really helps us out. Tell your friends, post it on Facebook, tweet it, Snapchat it, you know, just push the envelope of technology to promote this show. It, it really helps get the name out. Uh, also, some exciting news. We were chosen as one of the top 10 Jewish podcasts in Moment Magazine. Who knew there were so many Jewish podcasts? Also, one of the award winners there is uh, Israel Story, our friends over at Israel Story. Great podcast. Check it out. You're going to love it. Send us feedback at kibitzpod at gmail.com or tweet us at kibitzpod. And you can follow me at Dan Crane here. And we're, of course, on Facebook. You can like our page, which would be great. I'd like to thank our guests, Jonathan Wiseman, the Kasher Brothers, Dan Patterson, and Richard Brim. For more from Moshe Kasher, go to MosheKasher.com and check out Rabbi David Kasher's brilliant podcast at Parshanut.com. This episode was produced and edited by me, Dan Crane, with help from Adam Sachs, Sarah DeLeo, and David Jargowski. Additional engineering by Brett Morris. Special thanks to David Katznelson, Francine Hermelin, Earwolf, and as always, Reboot. Music was made by me, my current band, Ray and Ramora. We've got an album coming out September 16th. Very exciting. And my old band, New Non Plus. And as my great-grandmother used to say, That's the way it is in a small town with a large population. Thanks for listening to The Kibitz. The Kibitz.